So yeah, continuing our series on vital signs, I'm going to be reading a short passage from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. And my subject this morning is grace. I'll explain more about that as we go along. So let's turn to John's Gospel here, chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 14 to 18. Speaking of Jesus, the Gospel writer, the Apostle John, writes this. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. <clears throat> That's as far as I want to go. <clears throat> so first of all, I want to uh, look at what grace is. Is. So I looked up various definitions and theological books and all sorts of places, but I found this one uh, very helpful indeed, and I hope it will come up behind me so you can read it. And it says this, in Western Christian theology, grace has been defined as the love and mercy given to us by God because God desires us to have it, not because of anything we have done to earn it. It is understood by Christians to be a spontaneous gift from God to man, generous, free, and totally unexpected and undeserved, that takes the form of divine favor, love, clemency, and a share in the divine life of God. And I think that's a, an excellent definition of what grace is. So there's love, there's mercy, it's unexpected, it's undeserved, it's generous, it's free, there's favor, there's mercy, there's share in the divine life of God. So that's the kind of thing that we're looking at as we're thinking about the grace of God. And the apostle writes in verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received. Interesting that, we have all received. There is what, so what's that all about? Well, for a start, there is what theolog theologians call a common grace at work in the world. And it shows itself in various ways. And as I thought about that, I thought, well, the most obvious way, as far as I can see, in which common grace is shown is this. It's the fact that you're alive. It's the fact that you have life. The fact that you are born. You did not choose to be born. You did not choose your life. It's a gift from God through common grace. Other aspects, dimensions of common grace that we see in our world, for example, in artistic achievement. Van Gogh's poppies were sold for over 38 million pounds this week. Where does that talent come from? It's part of the common grace of God. Scientific achievement. I read again on the internet this week that um, a new uh, drug has been developed to, in order to combat bacteria as uh, antibiotics are gradually waning in their power through overuse. But a new drug has been discovered. Common grace comes in through the restraint of evil through our legal system. There's evil in the world, but often it's restrained. 
by the laws that we have, the judicial system. It's common grace. We see common grace as well in our ability to grasp truth and to see error. If I say to you, I'm going to give you three pounds, I'm going to give you another two pounds, and I'm going to give you one pound, so here's four pounds, you'll recognize there's something not quite right there, won't you? There's a discernment going on between what is right and what is wrong. By the way, three plus two plus one isn't four, okay, just in case you missed out on that one. Um, <clears throat> it's common grace. In the psalmist writes in Psalm 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And I was thinking about that again this week, and I thought I might itemize some of the blessings I've had recently. You know, when you, when you stopped, we were encouraged to be grateful last week, to have gratitude. And as I thought about, you know, blessings, I thought, well, have I received any this week? If so, what might they be? And actually, it did not take me long to come up with, I could have come up with a huge list. I'll just share one or two with you. First, start my ongoing health. I thought, well, thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, Neil and I were talking about that the other day. As we were getting older, we were talking about our health. And I said to Neil, I said, um, actually, you and I have, have, you know, we've had good health recently. In fact, I said, when I was teaching, I never had a day off in 15 years, which I think is pretty good. So I do thank the Lord. I think that's a blessing. I had a photograph come through on my phone this week as well of uh, our youngest son who's in South Africa at the moment with his, and uh, there's a photograph of him and his fiancee and they both look very happy and that, that was a blessing. It really blessed me, encouraged me. I put it on my computer so that when I switched my computer on I could look at that photograph and pray for them as well. Um, my son-in-law is a blessing. The other last week we were sitting watching some football on the telly and I tend to prattle on during football matches. So if you don't like someone who chatters throughout the football, then I'm probably not the person to sit and watch it with. So I will come up with the most inane questions. So for example, uh, last week there was a football match. I can't remember who was playing. But I do remember, I said, well, that, that lad there, he looks very young. I wonder how old he is. And my son-in-law says, he's 18. Then I say, I wonder where that guy comes from. He says, he comes from Belgium. And as I prattle on asking loads and loads of questions, invariably, he's on the internet looking up the answers for me. <laughs> you know, and it's just a blessing. I was with our granddaughter, our oldest granddaughter this week, and uh, I took her to her brownie meeting, which is at her school. So I was walking hand-in-hand in hand with her. She's, better get this right, she's almost eight years old. And uh, so it was in her school, and we walked into the foyer, and she said, um, oh, there's some work that we've done on India. We did a study on India. And I said, is any of your work up there? She said, uh, I'm not sure. So we started to have a look, and there was a map of India. And, of course, just above India, to the north of India, is Nepal. And I said to her, oh, look, there's Nepal. And it's got the flag there. And then I took out my keyring because I've got a Nepal flag keyring. And I said, look, I've got the keyring here. She said, yeah, I told my teacher that my nan and granddad were in Nepal. And uh, it was just a little thing, but it was a blessing. I could go on. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. What about you? What about you? I'm sure you could, when you go home, you could get your notebook out and you would be there for some time writing down the blessings that the Lord has given you. So there's a sort of common grace going on, but there's also a, a saving grace, which is what I want to, to, to major on today. John says in verse 14, the word became flesh. 
and made his dwelling among us. So what's he talking about there? The word became flesh. He's talking about the life of Jesus. That Jesus comes and Christmas is coming up and we remember that tender moment when the infant child is born, laid in a manger. And that's the incarnation. That's God, the word, becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. And Jesus, throughout his uh, ministry, would say, I have come for a reason, and my reason is to fulfill the will will of my Father. And I'm going to be handed over to, to wicked people, and I'm going to be scourged, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be spat upon, and I'm going to be crucified. Why? Why? So that I'm going to redeem mankind. I'm going to save mankind through my acts that I'm going to do. But not only that, Three days after I'm crucified, I'm going to be raised to life. I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's the grace of God that Jesus comes and breaks into this world in order to save us. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. We were on holiday earlier this year down by the seaside, and we had a, rented a property just right on the beach and Joy and I had the, there were three floors in the house. We had the top floor and the sort of attic room, and we had the window open at night. Well, and during the day as well. And uh, one of the things that I loved was I loved just falling asleep to hearing the sound of the sea. And then you'd wake up and you'd hear the sound of the sea. You know, because whether, this, whether the tide is going out or whether it's coming in, the waves still keep coming. And grace, in my experience as a Christian for over 40 years, is the same as that. Grace still keeps coming. You know, I remember this, that every morning, God's mercies are new. And I experience His grace every morning. Like the waves of the sea, they keep coming. So I want to say really just two things this morning. Very simple. The first one is this, receive grace. Receive grace. And the second one is this, live grace. Live grace. So it's just going to be very simple. First one is receive grace. Now, What do you need to do in order to receive grace? Well, I think one of the primary things is this. You have to see your need. You have to recognize your need. It was very interesting, I thought, on that video to do with the big question that we watched this morning. That one of the ladies, did you notice what she said about herself? She said, well, I'm quite a good person, really. That's what she was saying in essence. And actually, that's a huge stumbling block to receiving grace. Your perception of yourself is being, well, I'm not so bad. And I guess we can all have a tendency to think a little bit like that. You know, I'm not so bad. You know, I bought a poppy this week. I'm not so bad. You know, I gave to that. In fact, I even paid a pound for it. You know, we kind of brush ourselves up a bit to make ourselves look I let people out at the road junctions, you know? I'm kind like that. I, uh, I help my neighbor from time to time. You know, I put their bins out for them every now and again. And, uh, and I look after their cat when they go on holiday. You know, I'm not so bad after all. You know, I, I hold down a decent job, and I've made the most of my education. You know, we convince ourselves that we're not so bad. We recognize, of course, that we're no Mother Teresa. But at the same time, we kind of say, well, we're no Jack the Ripper either. And we kind of put ourselves somewhere in between those two. Actually, the Bible says that we're hostile to God by our very nature. Our essential nature is we're enemies of God. 
Our essential nature is we are born in sin. Our essential nature is that we will do our own thing. Our essential nature is we will disobey and disregard what God wants. We'll be alienated from Him. Our essential nature tends towards our selfishness. And when we recognize that, because it's grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ, we have to recognize, first of all, the truth about who we really are. And when we recognize that, then then we can be in a position to receive God's grace. Recognizing that actually we may not be as good as we think we are. So, for example, when Jesus came, who were the people who found it most difficult to receive him? To receive the person who was full of grace and truth. The people who found it the most difficult were those who thought they were good. And the people who found it easier were those who recognized that they weren't. He dines with publicans and sinners was the criticism, wasn't it? He dines with the ne'er-do-wells. He dines with the riffraff. He dines with the failures. He sits at the well and talks with a woman who's had five husbands and is living with somebody who's not her husband. That's who he associates with, and they recognize that they're in need of his grace. He lets the woman who has led a dissolute life come and wash his feet with her tears. She recognizes her need of Jesus. In order to receive God's grace, we have to recognize our need and admit to the fact that we might not quite be as good as we would like to portray ourselves as. Then we get in a position to receive grace. See, I guess if we look back on our life, and I guess I'm not unique here, if you look back on your life, there must be, I would suggest, things that you regret that you have done. You regret you have said them. You regret you have thought them. And sometimes it's not even the things that we have done, it's the things that we have failed to do. The good that was in our power to do, and we failed to do it. We need to recognize our need. The Apostle Paul had a terrible past, when you think about it. There was a young man who loved the Lord. And this young guy was a good guy. He was a nice guy. He was a great guy to have in your small group. He was a great encouragement. His name was Stephen. And what happened to him? The Apostle Paul came. Well, he wasn't the Apostle Paul in those days. He was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus came, had this young guy arrested. Not only that, he supervised the stoning to death of that young man. In fact, the witnesses who came to do it laid their cloaks. They took their cloaks off. Why did they do that? They took their cloaks off in order to free their arm so they could hurl the rocks at this young man. And Saul of Tarsus was standing there, not only watching. I mean, can you believe it? You know, we all shrink in horror from the thought of what's going on with this Islamic terrorist group when they capture the aid workers and they cut their heads off and then they post the footage on the internet. You know, one instinctively recoils from that and finds it abhorrently evil. To watch someone be stoned to death is in that category. And to be approving of it is in that category. And Saul of Tarsus did that. He had a past that obviously... You know, he had to recognize as well that he wasn't as good as he thought he was. And we do too. And I can remember as well, you know, many things I, <laughs> I wish I'd never done. And things I should have done and I didn't. Now, I wasted 
opportunities to learn. I really did. I had, and I've said this before, even now there are moments when I think, I wish I had, and I wish I hadn't. I know Jesus has covered them with his blood, so I don't get condemned about it. But I still think, I wish I had taken those opportunities that I had when I had them, instead of wasting it doing the most incredibly stupid things. But there you go. But God's grace comes in, and God gives opportunities. God gives new possibilities, because that's his grace and his kindness, and certainly it's true in my life. And I left school when I was 18, and that's a long time ago now. It's over 40 years. But I still find the Lord is opening doors of opportunity for me to learn. I like learning. I enjoy learning. I like learning new things. That's why I ask questions about the football. How old is he? Where does he come from? I'm just interested in those kind of things. And thank you, John, for pointing out. Where is John? Oh, he's gone off to. Thank you, John, for pointing out that the First World War was 100 years since it began, not since it ended. As someone who's interested in those kind of things, you'd have thought I'd have known that, but never mind. <laughs> Anyway, we need God's grace. We need his truth. We need to receive that. So we need to recognize that we may not be as good as we thought we are. In order to know God's grace, you have to receive it. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So grace faces up to the truth of who we are. But not only does grace face up to the the truth of who we are, it faces up to the truth of who Jesus is. Faces up to who he is. And... um, John says this, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's an episode in the book of Exodus where Moses is going to be given the Ten Commandments, and he goes up Mount Sinai. Now, the people of Israel have been rescued from slavery by God spectacularly. The most amazing miracles, the Red Sea parted, the Egyptians drowned, the all the kind of miracles that happened in Egypt, the flies, the, all sorts of things happened. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. So the people knew for sure that God had delivered them out of Egypt. Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And what do they do down below at the bottom of the mountain? They make an idol. They make an idol out of gold, a golden calf. And they start to worship this idol. Now, this is a a story which some of us might find difficult to understand, to get our heads around. But what happens is Moses, so they're cavorting around, down around this golden calf, worshiping the golden calf. And Moses comes back down the mountain, and he says something which is quite shocking at first. He says, whoever is for the Lord, you come and you kill those who are worshiping the golden calf. Wow. When you think about that, why did he say that? And in fact, they do, and they kill about, the Bible says, about 3,000. Why do they do that? I think they do that. Why does Moses say that? They, They do that because it's a cancer in the nation. And unless this cancer is cut out, unless it's excised, it's gonna invade and pollute and destroy the whole nation. That's why the punishment was so severe. About 3,000 that day. Think about it. The law came through Moses. Now you imagine the judgment that's going to come. Here's the Son of God, the Holy One, the Pure One. He comes, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. And what do they do? They reject Him. They despise Him. They accuse Him of all sorts of things that He's never done, although He's innocent. They set up a kangaroo court. They spit in His face. 
They hit him. They blindfold him. They strip him. They scourge him. They nail him to a cross between two thieves. What's the judgment that God's going to do for that? If when Moses went to get the Ten Commandments, about 3,000 were killed, here's the Son of God. The disciples are waiting upstairs in the room on Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes, and the disciples spill out into the city, and they proclaim not the judgment of God, but they proclaim the salvation of God. And about how many are saved on that day? About 3,000. The law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, and the writer to the Hebrews contrasts the law with what goes on under the new covenant. The writer to the Hebrews, talking of that mountain that Moses went up, says this, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I love that. To the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's that all about? Well, Abel's blood speaks of judgment and vengeance. Cain gets his comeuppance. But Jesus' blood speaks of grace and forgiveness. I wonder... Have you received Jesus' grace? Have you received his forgiveness? Have you received Jesus into your life? Have you recognized actually that there's something deeply, deeply wrong within you? That nothing is going to fix. No amount of giving to charity, as noble as that may be, or helping your neighbor, as admirable as that may be, is going to solve. Something is deeply wrong within us that only the grace of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God in the sending of His beloved Son is going to cure and sort out. So we need to recognize our need in order to receive God's grace. And then we need to recognize who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I can remember as a 20-year-old that God cornered me as a 20-year-old lad doing his own thing, a trail of bound opportunities behind me, even at that age. You don't need to be very old to make a mess, do you, wife? 20 years old, and I was in this room, and God cornered me, cornered me in a loving and kind and gentle way. Maybe the Lord's cornering you today, I don't know. If he does, he's often quite gentle in how he does it, and kind. He certainly was to me. And on that day, I heard something of the truth. And I felt very deeply challenged in my own life about who Jesus is. For me, that's the big question of life. The big question is, who is he? And if he is who he says he is, then what does that mean for me? And that was the challenge that I faced as a 20-year-old when I decided through God's grace that Jesus is who he says he is. And I sought to respond to that and still am. So we need to receive grace. It's God's kindness to each one of us. He wants to bless you. And then the second thing I want to say is this. We need to live grace. 
We need to live grace. I'll explain about that in a moment. Terry Verga's written a brilliant book on grace called God's Lavish Grace. I just want to quote a sentence from it here. He writes this. Grace doesn't come to lower the standard. It comes to motivate and enable us to live a totally new life. Let me read that again. Grace doesn't come to lower the standard. It comes to motivate and enable us to live a totally new life. So here God comes and he gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness, the Apostle Peter says. So I was thinking about this. What might that mean? Can I think of an illustration for that? So I thought of the gym. All right. Some of it, that may appeal to some of you. It may not appeal to many of you. I happen to go to the gym every now and again. So God's grace is a little bit like this. God comes in his grace and kindness. He comes to give us a new life. He comes to give us rebirth. He comes to put his spirit within us. He comes to empower us to live. He comes to give us his word and his support. It's a bit like being given a lifetime gym membership. So there you are. You get some great, you walk in, there's some great equipment there. Not only that, but the latest footwear and the sports clothing, it's all laid out for you, and it's going to fit you perfectly. Not only that, but there are some first-rate exercise classes that you can go to. As if that isn't enough, there's even your own personal trainer who understands your needs exceptionally well, comes alongside you to help you. So there you are, all set, all ready, and you sit on the couch and read the newspaper. Actually, you do see people doing that when you go into the gym. It's quite amusing, really, but that's another story. It'd be strange, would it not? It'd be a strange thing to do. And yet, sometimes as Christians, we, we think, well, I've got the grace of God now. I've got the kindness of God. I've experienced that. I know something of the love of God in my life. Ah, sit back and take things easy. Now, no. I was, it was pointed out to me this week. This is a very interesting sentence. Pray as if it all depends on God. And work as if it all depends on you. That's a very interesting phrase. Pray as if it all depends on God. And work as if it all depends on you. See, grace is designed to enable us, to equip us, to affect every area of our lives. So here's an example. To live out grace towards other people. Live grace towards other people, for a start. I was in a pizza shop the week before last, I think it was, in Castle Street. And um, we'd ordered some pizzas over the phone, and I went in to collect them. And when I went in, there was a man being served. And it's funny how your mind works. Or funny how mine works, anyway. I went in, and this man had ordered his food. I was ordering it. And he looked quite disheveled. I couldn't see what he looked like, but he looked quite disheveled. And he was speaking to the pizza guy in a loud voice. And his speech sounded quite slurred. A little, didn't sound quite normal. And I thought, I wonder if, as soon as I walked in, I thought, I wonder if this guy's drunk. Just, and then what popped into my head was this. Be kind to him. Just very quickly. These two thoughts came into my mind. Is this guy drunk? And then be kind to him. As I went into this pizza shop. And the, the, this man uh, said to the pizza guy, uh, can you phone for a taxi for me? And the pizza guy said, no, sorry, I can't do that. I think he said that, but it was definitely a no that he said. And, uh, and so the guy turns to me. Can you phone for a taxi for me? Have you got a phone? 
And my natural instinct, I have to say, is to kind of shrink back from that and not want to get involved. I don't know about you, but... So I kind of avoided the question in one sense. I said, um, would this be kind to ring you in my ear? But nevertheless, I said, I don't know the taxi phone number. I thought that's not a bad response, is it? And he said, uh, oh, I know what it is. I said, okay. So he told me. So I got my phone out. And then I thought, is he going to try and nab my phone and run off down the street? Told you an odd way of thinking. Anyway, so I phoned the taxi firm for for him. And they said, uh, what's the name of the person? So I asked him his name. He told me. What's the address he wants to go? And he told me. And then my features came. He was slumped on the counter, or semi-slumped, and he's eating his food. And he had his back to me while this was going on. And uh, so I went off down the road. (laughs) And then I got a text message from the taxi company. And the taxi company said, your taxi is waiting for you outside. It's a silver, this, that, and the other. I thought, oh, great. That guy probably doesn't want a taxi. And I thought, what shall I do? So I phoned the taxi company, and I said, um, I, I didn't actually want a taxi. Uh, I was phoning on somebody else's behalf, expecting them to say, oh, well, he's done a no-show or whatever it was. But they said, oh, well, it's fine. He's collected them. They're on their way. Simple thing. I went in there. My natural instinct was this. Don't get involved. Don't give him your phone. Don't even let him see that you've got one. But I just felt, I'm not, I'm not even saying it was a spirit. I don't know. Just be kind. Be kind to him. I don't know. The point is this anyway. Whatever you make of that, live grace towards other people. God has shown you grace, yeah? So we are to show grace to other people. One of the ways in which we can do that is to live grace is through forgiveness and our attitude towards others. Uh, recently, well, not that long ago, I was, Joy and I were involved in, with this couple who were having marriage difficulties and it was very traumatic. It was very difficult. It really was. Very difficult. I remember one of the things that was said by the spouse, one of them said to the other, give me some grace here. Give me some grace here. And I thought, it made me stop and think. And I thought, what do they mean by that? What are they looking for in this relationship when they're asking for the other one to give them grace? And I thought, well, the Bible talks about love, doesn't it? And it says, love does not keep an account of wrongs. And I thought, do I keep an account of wrongs when I am wronged against? Do I have my notebook, my mental notebook, where I jot things down and I tot them up until they reach a certain level and then the dam bursts? Or am I quick to forgive? Do I live out grace and show other people a bit of forgiveness, at least every now and again? Or do I rehearse in my mind how I'm going to get my own back on them? The Lord has given you and me grace and forgiveness, and he wants us. In fact, Jesus says some very stern words about that if you don't. Very stern words. We are to receive God's grace. We are to receive his forgiveness. And then our response is to live that grace out. And one of the ways in which we do that is to forgive others. Now, I know that does not mean sweeping things under the carpet, saying it doesn't matter. Oh, no, no. We can experience some real wounds here. Things that run deep. And you can, some people here may have experienced things which run a lot deeper than what I have. 
But nevertheless, things happen in our life. And the thing about forgiveness is this, and I'm not saying forgiveness is, it doesn't come cheap. Someone has to pay the price in order for forgiveness to happen. And we see that ultimately, of course, with Jesus when he sacrifices his life on the cross. He gives his life. I read this as well. Grace does not mean the weak and careless forgiveness of sins. For pardon was affected only by the judgment and condemnation of the innocent and voluntary sacrifice. So grace does not mean the weak and careless forgiveness of sins. No, no, no. There is a price to be paid. It may mean that you have to bear with the total injustice of it all, as Jesus did. But to live grace means to live out forgiveness towards others. It means to be kind to others. Living grace as well also means through our giving. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He talks about our giving being affected by our grace that we receive. He talks about the fact that the grace of God came to the Thessalonians. And what did they do? When the grace of God came to the Thessalonians, it says they gave themselves to the work of the Lord. They gave themselves to the apostles. Not only that, they gave financially. In fact, he talks about, to the Corinthians, he says, this act of grace, this grace of giving. So giving is not a mere chore or duty when you give, whether you give time, whether you give effort, whether you give energy, whether you give financially. It's a grace. It's a grace. Do you want to know if your life has been touched by grace? Have a look in your wallet. Have a look at your standing orders. Have a look at your direct debits. That will tell you whether your, grace, whether your life has been touched by grace or not. As we give ourselves, and we're blessed in our church here, that we, you know, we see many people touched by grace. Many people. Many generous, kind people, not just generous financially. There are generous, there are people in this church incredibly generous financially and generous in other ways. Thank you very much for your generosity. And your generosity may be five pounds. That may be your generosity. And for you, that may be generous. So bless you. There are many people who are generous in giving their time and their effort and their energy to, to make things happen, even today. So we're very grateful for that. It's the grace of God that has touched our lives. I want to ask you this question as I come to an end now. Have you received God's grace? First of all, have you received his saving grace? Do you know what that is to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do you know what it is to have your sins forgiven? Do you know what it is to have a new life? Because that's what the Lord wants to give you. God's blessings keep coming. His grace keeps coming. I want to say this. You're not outside God's grace, whatever you've done. You're not outside His grace. His grace is wide enough, big enough, deep enough, strong enough to cover your sin. And His blessing will keep on coming like the waves of the sea. Why? Because God wants to change us. I know it happens incrementally, little by little by little by little. Sometimes it feels like two steps forward and three steps back. But God's grace keeps coming because in the end, he wants us to be like him, like his beloved son. I know we've got a long way to go, but if you're on the road, I just encourage you to keep going. So as we uh, think about grace, we're going to break bread now. 
So if our welcome team would like to get things organized, and if I could have Steve and the band back up, that would be really good. When we come to break bread, boy, that reminds us of God's grace. His kindness, his gentleness, his mercy to you and me. So if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is for you. So I'll ask you when the stewards are ready, I'll cue you in and you can uh, come and receive of the bread and the wine. Let's just pray for a moment, shall we? We heard this morning, Lord, that um, about you making the heavens and the earth. We heard about something of your unsearchable uh, greatness and that we are to call to you and you will answer us. And you will show us amazing things. Father, I pray for everyone here today. I pray in the name of Jesus that we may experience your grace, your kindness, your love. I pray for every single person here today, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that they will experience for themselves the love of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that they will know the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I pray, Father, for every single person here that you will put a desire in our hearts to walk with you, to live out this life of grace that you have provided for us, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, right now, I pray. And I pray as well, Father. I pray that you'll put within our hearts a deep joy, a deep song of love for you, Father, that nothing can put out, that nothing can silence, Lord. That song of celebration that once we were lost but now we're found once we were your enemies but now we're your friends and it's because of your amazing grace to us thank you thank you Jesus